word of God is actually our sword. Um, it's a weapon that God has given to us. So it's important for us to know how to use the weapon. Uh, so I want to encourage you uh, to, if you have a Bible, to look it up and track along as best you can, or use your phone even, if that's our tablet, whatever you use. Uh, but let's, uh, let's get a little better at using our weapon that God has given to us. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture uh, that I'm sure most of us know uh, or we've heard reference to at some point. But we're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. Uh, Again, very popular passage of Scripture. uh, But we're going to look at it and we're going to challenge ourselves with asking the question, who do we love? Uh, Especially as we gear up for Faith in Action next uh, week or actually just in a few days. Um, So let's jump into this. There we go. Scripture says, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's stop there just for a second. I find this extremely interesting that they included this in the Bible as, 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 they were, uh, as he was writing this and including this story. He throws this in here, and this is where I say when we read Scripture, I'm really guilty. Again, you can read Scripture really fast and, and not really pay attention to some of the stuff that's being said. And, and this was something that hit me actually this week. I never really paid attention to this until this week uh, as I was studying this and looking at this. These words just jumped out at me. And it's where it says, the man wanted to justify his actions. See, Scripture's telling us that this teacher of the law, he wanted to justify himself. He basically wanted to prove that his actions were fair and right, and he he wanted to justify himself. So here's the point that went through, like as I was thinking about this and I was praying about this, and God challenged me with this, is this was the thought. Our flesh, that sinful part of us, right, our flesh, will always attempt to justify itself by attempting to define who we're actually called to love. That's what the man's doing right there. He's trying to justify himself. He's trying to say, he's asking this question, then who is my neighbor? He's challenging Jesus because he wants to define who is worthy of his love and who is not worthy of his love. I'm just as guilty of this. My flesh wants to justify, wants to find reasons why certain people are not worthy to receive any love from me, any patience, any kindness, any forgiveness, right? That's what scripture tells us. I mean, uh, Paul lays out what love is to challenge us a little bit more. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, unfortunately the love chapter is, is, is misused so many times. And here's what I mean by that. The love chapter was never written to define romantic love. But yet that's where we hear it, isn't it? it it's, it's quoted at, at weddings. It's something that, you know, is always on that nice, lovely decorations that kind of talks about the love between, you know, a husband and a wife. But that was not what that passage was actually talking about. If you actually study 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that because he's talking about the dysfunction in the church. Paul's actually challenging the church. He's saying, listen, you guys got some problems. 
and you aren't, you aren't doing things right. And he's challenging them on the way that they conduct themselves. And in the middle of him telling them how to conduct themselves, he's like, hey, let me define for you what love is. And he says, this is love. Love is patience. And it's kindness, and it's goodness, and it's, 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 it's uh, forgiveness, and all these things. You know, this is what Paul, he said, keeps no record of wrongs. This is what Paul's laying out. Now, here's the thing. Again, I say my flesh wants to justify who I'm going to allow my patience to be given to. My flesh, flesh wants to justify who I give my forgiveness to, or my mercy to, or my kindness to. In fact, we live in a world, we truly do live in a world that says, if you hurt me, then I have the right to hurt you back. If you are rude to me, I have the right to be rude to you back. If you come against me, I have the right to come back against you. And that's what the teacher of the law is doing here. He's saying, listen, who's my neighbor? Because he wanted to justify himself. So now that we understand that, we have that in front of us, because that's the context here, then Jesus goes on, and this is where he goes into the Good, good Samaritan story. My goodness. All right, now I'll go back. <laughs> I can't stand this thing. Seriously, I'm pushing it one time. There we go. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead beside, beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. That's some pretty significant stuff this man's doing. Jesus then asked, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So here's the thing. My flesh wants to justify who I want to love. But if we look at scripture and we look at the life of Jesus and we look at the actions of Jesus, here's what I want us to understand. Jesus calls us to love those that judge us, those that mistreat us, those that hate us, and those that are against us. Now we might say, well, how can I say that? Because Jesus is no fool in how he tells a story. See, Jesus started this story with the Good Samaritan, and he said, listen, there was a Jewish man that was walking, and a Jewish man got attacked. And a Jewish man was lying on the side of the road, beaten and abused. And the priest came by, who would have been Jewish, but he did nothing. Then the temple assistant came by, who would have been Jewish, and did nothing. But then the Samaritan came by, and he did something. See, here's the thing. Jews and Samaritans literally hated one another. And when I say hated, they despised one another. Jews could not stand the Samaritan people. They considered them dogs. 
dirty, filthy, worthless. If ever there was a group of people, the Jews at this time would have been happy to get wiped off the face of the planet, it probably would have been the Samaritans. The Jews mistreated them. The Jews spoke against them. The Jews judged them. They were against them. So the man that was lying on the side of the road was probably a man that had mistreated Samaritans at some point in time in his life. The man on the side of the road was probably a man that hated Samaritans. He was probably a man that judged Samaritans. He was probably a man that was against Samaritans. But yet the good Samaritan, when he saw him, loved him. Jesus was challenging their idea of love to the very core by choosing a Samaritan to be part of this story. I want you to think in your mind, because I'm going to be kind of blunt here. Think about this. I know I do. We all have a group of people that, that whenever we might think of them or hear of them, it just kind of gets a rise out of us. It, it just kind of makes us get a little on edge. Let's, let's kind of put it in context today, because this happens all the time. You, you have some people, and... and <laughs> I know, I know people like this. I've watched people like this. Man, I have, I have people I know very close to me that when they watch Fox News and they see certain people on Fox News, they just get angry. They can't stand. Republicans can't stand Democrats. Democrats can't stand Republicans. Our idea towards them is they're worthless. They're, I mean, whatever side of the coin you're on. We also live in a time, let's just be kind of blunt about it again. We live in a time where as Americans, some of us have extreme feelings towards people that are Muslim. But here's the thing. This is the context that Jesus is talking about here. He's like, take the group of people that just get you all on edge, and that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's saying, hey, I'm going to put the two people that can't stand each other, and I'm going to put them together to teach you a lesson. But not only that, Jesus calls us to love some other people. But before we, let's, let's look at this real quick, this passage of scripture. Jeez oh, Louise. You have heard, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. These are Jesus' words. Jesus is basically saying, hey, if you only love those that are easy to love, there's no credit in that. Anybody can do that. The worst person in the world can do that. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, the tax collectors can do that. Again, he's challenging the Jewish mindset. And the Jewish mind, a tax collector, again, was a worthless person. And Jesus is like, listen, you think if that's all you're doing, tax collectors can do that. He's challenging us. He's saying, hey, we got to love the people that are hard to love. we got to love the people that actually are against us. Because by doing so, we set ourselves apart from the rest of the world. By doing so, we set ourselves apart to be the light of the world that Jesus calls us to be. But it goes on. Jesus not only calls us to love those people, he actually calls us to love some other people. He calls us to love the broken, the unwanted, the discarded, the ignored, the messy. 
Because see, in this context here, not only did the Samaritan love the person that was against him, the Samaritan also loved the person that was lying there, literally broken, literally unwanted, literally discarded, ignored, and in a mess. And Jesus was like, hey, if you truly want to love, you need to get in the middle of that. You need to step down into the middle of that and love the very people that when you look at what they're going through, it makes you uneasy. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes you actually fight for a moment. Here's the deal. When the kind of love that God calls us to have for one another is a love that many times is going to put his spirit and our flesh at conflict with each other. And what I mean by that is my flesh is going to say, no, I don't want to. And God's going to say, I don't care. Do it anyways. And then we find ourselves in that position of like the song we just sang. Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. Y'all realize that if you just sang that song, we just made a pretty big commitment, right? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I'll follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. Let's just challenge ourselves for a moment. Let's ask the question, who does, who does God love? Who does God love? Everyone. You know what I love about that? Did, did you say that? Who said it? Oh, okay. Everyone. Here's the thing. Here's my question. We all knew that, right? We all knew that we're supposed to call love. We're supposed to love everyone, right? We all knew that. Let me clarify. When I when I say we all knew that, I'm kind of looking for like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We know this. But you know one of the things is, I'll be, I'm going to put myself in your shoes, and maybe I'm not right in this, but I'm going I'm to put myself in your shoes and take the chance that maybe some of you are feeling the same way I am when I'm in those positions. I don't want to say everyone because I feel like if I say it, then I have to own it. I know it, but I don't want to have to say it. Because if I say it, then I have to own it. And we just got done singing a song that says, I'm going to love everyone. Whom you love, I'll love. Whom you serve, I'll serve. Jesus loves and serves everyone. That means as a follower of his, I am called to love and serve everyone, especially those that are not easy to love. Scripture shows us this. John 3, 16, don't even need the whole thing, just says, for God so loved the world. You know what that means? That God has as much love for the Muslim on the other side of this planet as he does for me. That means that God has just as much love for me as he does for the woman right now that's selling her body on the street. That God has just as much love for me as the heroin addict right now that's lost everything and sitting in some room someplace, wondering where his next hit's going to come from. See, sometimes we fail. I know we get it, but at the same time, there's a disconnect. We don't get it. I'm just as guilty because... You look at some of the people that God calls us to love and it just seems overwhelming and too difficult and my flesh, my flesh wants to justify it. My flesh wants to justify who my neighbor is. My flesh wants to justify who I'm actually called to love. Now here's what I want us to think about for a minute. See, now here's the Samaritan. He's walking along. He sees this man. And there's this moment of like, I should do something. I should do something for this man. And, and I want to just process some of the excuses. 
that the Samaritan, he could have had. He could have used these excuses on why he shouldn't have done anything. And I want to challenge us because they might be some of the excuses that we use when God calls us to love on somebody and our flesh gets in there and it tries to get in the way and says, no, you don't need to do that. Maybe we can relate to some of this. Here's the first one that I was thinking about. He could have used past treatment and current attitudes to say, you know what, I'm not going to love that guy. Basically, he could have been walking along and been like, you know what, you're an arrogant Jew that treats us like dirt. I'm not going to touch you. I don't have nothing to do with you. You know what, I remember what your kind of people have said to me in the past. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You got what you deserve. You can just lay there and suffer. See, he could have used past treatment and current attitudes. So what I mean by that is sometimes God calls us to love people that have wounded us. I've been there. Go love on them. But I don't want to love on them. Because do you remember what they did to me? Do you remember their attitude towards me? Do you remember how they speak about me? Lord, I'm not going to love on I'm not going to treat that person with respect, Lord, because I know they like to go around and gossip about me. I know they like to say things about me. Lord, you don't remember the hurt that that person put on me and my family or whatever it is. Lord, I'm going to use past treatment and current attitudes as a reason not to love. Here's the challenge I want to give to us on this one. And here's the thing. Hear me on this. I am not denying anybody's hurt. I'm not denying anybody's pain. It is significant. It is real. And it has to be dealt with. I'm not trying to lessen pain. But here's the thing I want to put in our hearts and in our minds when it comes to this stuff. The mistreatment and sins that people have committed against you were placed on the cross with Jesus just like your sins were. He died for those sins just as much as he died for your sins. And again, that's not to lessen what people do to us, and that's not to lessen the treatment that people give to us by any means. But we need, as the people of God, to start seeing these things through the grace and mercy and cross of Jesus Christ, and not by worldly things. I need to remind myself, Lord, that hurt, what they did to me hurt, and it's painful, and I don't like it, but Lord, you love them, you died for them, you live for them, you want them just as much as you want me, so I'm not going to allow past treatment and current attitudes to dictate how I love them. Because you died for them just like you died for me. Imagine how our attitude towards people might change if we start seeing it through the cross of Jesus. The second thing. Samaritan could have said to himself, well, hey, the priest and Levite, they didn't do anything, so I guess I'm off the hook. The religious people didn't do anything. Why should I have to do anything? If, if the people that teach the law don't even follow the law, why should I have to do anything? This is a comparison thing, right? It's kind of that thing of like, well, if so-and-so does, I mean, I, I'm going to take my cues from them. Jesus says, don't take your cues from anybody else except from me. Jesus says, you don't look at anybody else and use them as your basis for how you follow me. You use me as the basis for how you follow me. You don't look at somebody else and say, well, Lord, I'm doing it better than so-and-so, so I guess, you know, I kind of, Jesus like, that doesn't matter. You follow my cues. And, and see, again, I'm good at that. I can compare myself. And then I can say, I can do it one of two ways. Well, they're not doing anything about it, so why should I do anything about it? Or I can say, well, I help a lot of other people, so when God tells me, hey, go try to go help them, maybe I'll use that as an excuse. I'll try to find a way to get myself off the hook for loving people. I'm going to be, uh, let me share it. Let's confess for a minute. I'm going to confess. Um, 
Some, some people know this that know me well. My wife knows this very, very well. I'll confess. I am an extremely selfish person. I'll be blunt about it. I can be extremely selfish. She's kind of got a smirk on her face. That's awesome. I can be an extremely selfish person. Extremely. It is one of the things that God is constantly putting in front of me. It's like, hey, this ain't about you. This ain't about you. I'm, I'm constantly looking for ways to get myself off the hook. And one of the ways I do that is when a moment comes up that requires my immediate response. Like God brings something and he says, hey, I need you to step in here. One of the ways I try to get myself off the hook, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in, in, in a second, but one of the ways I try to get myself off the hook is I compare myself and I'm saying, Lord, I've already done enough today. I've already done enough today. This is my, I mean, come on. And I try to get myself off the hook by comparing myself to other people. So we got to be careful of that. And that's something the Samaritan could have done. The third thing is this kind of goes along with what I was just talking about. I can look at it and Jesus says, hey, go love on them. And I can say, well, God, that's kind of an inconvenience to my plans. Right? The Samaritan could have done the same thing. He could have been walking along and all of a sudden he sees this guy laying there and he says, you know what? I'm busy. I got to get to Jerusalem. I got plans. I got an appointment I got to get to. I got to, whatever the reason, he could have said, I have an agenda to keep. I don't got time for this because that's an inconvenience to my plans. I don't know about you, but hear, hear me on this. Maybe, I don't know if this is just true for me, but a lot of the times when Jesus comes to me and asks me to love on somebody, it is at the most inconvenient times. It is literally the most inconvenient times. And, and, and I don't know if he does that on purpose, <laughs> but it just seems like it happens that way. And I just want to challenge us that if we're truly going to love people the way that God calls us to, we've got to be willing to be inconvenienced. Because sometimes that's the only time that God can get through to us. It's like, hey, I need, that's not about you. Come. It's about, it's about me and it's about them. The fourth, one is, the fourth one is this. Sometimes we focus on just the cost. So again, if you look at the Samaritan, it cost him some oil, it cost him some wine, he had to pay for some stuff, he had to do this, it cost him some stuff. Sometimes we can use the excuse, the Samaritan could have used the excuse, like I want to love that guy, but I don't have the resources to love that guy right now. I, I don't have the resources to pour into them right now. You know, one of the things that God really hit us with, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really, again, <laughs> I'm selfish, there was a time, I'm not joking, so my wife and I, my wife and I have uh, adoptive kids, like uh, sponsor kids that we do. We have a couple sponsor kids. And um, a few years back, we were kind of in a place where our budget was a lot tighter, and I'm the one that does our budget, so I'm always sitting there looking at all the numbers, and I'm looking at it and all that stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at all the places we can cut money, and I'm marking stuff, and I'm, again, I'm going to confess... I had a moment where I was looking at my budget and I was looking at the amount of money that was going out every month for our adoptive kids, our, 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 uh, the ones we sponsor. And I'm looking at that number and I'm like, man, God, that's not really a good idea, but if we had to, we could shave money right there. You'll take care of them. There's other people that'll step in and do that. You'll take care of them. I'm not even joking, God, in his infinite, I've, I've mentioned it before, it's like that two by four to the head moment. He's like, stupid, if you cut that before you cut your cable, I'm going to end you. <laughs> and I had that moment where I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I was actually thinking 
about a way to save money was I could stop sending money to help some kid that has literally nothing on the other side of the world that's being taught, he's being fed, he's being clothed, and he's being shared Jesus because I want to keep direct TV. Sometimes the cost gets in the way because God says, hey, I need you to maybe give up some of the stuff that you think you need so that you can give to somebody that truly needs. Just something to think about. The last one is this. The fifth one. The last one is, is, is sometimes God puts us in situations where we look at somebody and we just, we're at the end of ourselves and we say, this is the kind of love that is beyond what I can give. I can't do this. I just can't do this. This is beyond my emotional capacity. This is beyond my physical capacity, my resources, whatever it is. We come to a place where we're just like, I can't do this. This one might be for some of us. It's the person that's wounded us really bad. And it's like, I can't forgive that person. I can't love that person. I can't do any of that. I can't show kindness. I can't show patience. I can't do any of that. It is beyond me. Can I tell you something real, real quick? I want you to hear this. If you're in a place like that ever, can I encourage you, instead of seeing that as a negative, start rejoicing because you're at the place where God's about to take you someplace awesome and show you his power if you let him. See, because when you come to the place where you say, I can't, that's where God says, awesome, step out of the way because I can. One of my favorite stories, and anybody that was at Revolution, you've heard me share this story. Uh, I don't think I've done it here yet, so most of you ain't going to hear this. One of, the fav- one of my favorite stories when it comes to this, the power of God. How many people know who Corey Ten Boom is? Powerful story if you've never, if you've never heard of Corey Ten Boom. So she's a woman that was imprisoned in concentration camps. I won't go through the whole story, but she was in concentration camps. Her entire, her family, her father and her sister were in a concentration camp during World War II. Her father dies, her sister dies in the concentration camp. She survives. Fast forward. She becomes a powerful witness to God on forgiveness and love and starts traveling around the world preaching. She becomes a powerful, she's got a couple books out you can read about her. Powerful witness of forgiveness. She retells a story where she's standing at one of her, she just got done teaching and preaching. She's standing up there at the stage. All of a sudden, she looks into the back, and there's a man that's walking towards her, and instantaneously, she's overcome with the power of who this person is. It's one of the guards from the concentration camp in which she was stationed, that she was imprisoned, walking towards her. She, she recounts of how everything in her was like, I mean, this is everything, like the thoughts of like, this could, be, this could have been the man that killed my dad. This could have been the man that killed my sister. This is the man that killed all my friends. I mean, this, this is the man that could have tortured me. She, he's walking towards her, and she, he comes all the way to the front, and he comes to talk to her. And basically, long story short, he basically tells her this. He's like, listen, the grace and power of God has saved me. And he comes to her basically seeking her forgiveness, and he reaches out his hand. And she recounts the story of everything in her of like, how can I forgive this person? How can I love this person? How can I even touch this person? This person is filthy and worthless and does not deserve any of this. And then God reminds her, he's like, listen, love is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. It's a command. Obey. It's obedience. Don't stop worrying about what you feel. Obey me. And she says that she reached out and she took his hand 
And it was like instantaneously, the very presence of God started in her hand where she took his and flooded all the way through her arm and then through her body. And she said, by the time it was done, she had a love for that man that she had never experienced for any other human being. It's like the love of God himself poured himself into her and says, I'm going to let you love him. So here's the thing. When we come to the end of ourselves, rejoice in that because you're at the beginning of God. And some of us are going to be there. Some of us might be there now. I am completely at the end of myself. Rejoice in that because you're at the beginning of God. And God has no limit. See, we've got to remind ourselves and tell ourselves this. Scripture says we are love. We love because he first loved us. The reason we can love people, even the unlovable, is because it's not based on whether they deserve it or whether we want to. It's based on the fact that God loves us. My love, your love for one another and for other people is not based on whether they deserve it or we want to. It's based on the fact that God loves us. We are called to be conduits, not containers. The reason I love this idea of being a conduit is because a conduit never stops flowing if it allows what's flowing through it to flow out of it. So here's what I mean by that. If you want to always experience the love of God flowing through you, you got to be willing to let the love of God flow out of you. One of the reasons we get in trouble and we stop experiencing the love of God the way he wants us to is for some reason the conduit gets dammed up. It gets clogged. And when it gets clogged, the love of God isn't flowing through us the way he wants it to. He's like, listen, we got to break through this and we got to get this flowing again. The more love of God you let flow through you, the more love God will pour out into you. See, I think we fail to realize that as Christians. See, what we end up doing is we end up saying, Lord, I want to be filled with your love. God's like, I don't want you to be filled with my love. He's like, I want, I want you to be filled with my love because it's literally flowing through you. We're not called to just fill it up and walk around saying, ooh, I'm so full of the love of God. He's like, I gave it to you so you could give it away. And then when you give it away, I'll give you some more. It's like the never-ending flow. It's an amazing thought when we start to understand this. We are called to be conduits, not containers. So now let's just stop for a moment. And, and let's consider this just for a minute. I want us to talk just for a moment about the extent of the Samaritan's love. We talked a little bit about it, but just, just hear me on this for a moment. The extent of his love. Think about this. The Samaritan took the time to bandage the wounds. Uh, scripture tells us he gave oil and he gave wine. Not only that, he gets off his own donkey and he puts the man on it. So the rest of the journey, he's walking instead of riding his own donkey so this man could ride. Scripture tells us he paid for the room at the end. Not only does he pay for it, he stays there the entire night and he takes care of the man. He cares for him. He, he, he's there for every, any of his needs. I mean, I'm picturing this in my mind. Sometimes, again, we read scripture. I want you to picture this in your mind. Picture this, that he's sitting there in the room. This man's probably feeding this man. He, he's, he's probably giving him drinks and wiping his mouth as, as, as the water runs down his chin, as the man would, would maybe cry out in pain. He's, he's like, are you okay? What can I do for you? They're in the same room, which means that the injured man was the one on the bed, and, and the Samaritan's probably sitting on the floor in a chair. 
All night long, Scripture tells us he took care of this man. He took responsibility for him also to the point that he says, hey, here's some money, take care of him because i got to get going, but take care of him, and, and if you end up spending anything else on him, I'll come back and pay for that too. He basically gave him a blank check and said, you do whatever you got to do to get him where he needs to be. See, I, I want us to also think about this. Again, I want you to picture this in your, in your mind, because again, I don't do this as often as I should, but I want us to think about the things that we normally don't think about when it comes to these stories. So I, w- I was processing this uh, this week. I wonder, during that night, I wonder, was there ever a moment where the Samaritan had the temptation to second guess what he was doing? I wonder, as he was caring for that man, did he ever have the moment like, what am I doing? This is stupid. You know why I ask that question? Because I've had those moments. You ever had those moments when you're loving on somebody or you're doing something for somebody and you had that moment like, ah, this, is, ah, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I'll start saying things like this. They're not going to be grateful in it for it anyway. Why am I doing this? They're not even going to notice. Why am I doing this? I start second guessing. I wonder, did the Samaritan second guess what he was doing? And starts thinking to himself, man, if I just snuck out, maybe I could leave. Or, or maybe I'll just go downstairs and tell the guy, hey, give me a second room because this is too much. Or, or whatever it could have been. I wonder if there was a moment where the, the Samaritan actually got frustrated with his own discomfort. Because maybe his desire for his own comfort started to creep in as the priority again. I wonder as he was walking mile after mile with that man on the donkey. As he's walking, he's like, man, my feet hurt, my back hurt. I would really love to be riding this donkey right now. I've had those moments too, helping, loving people, right? It's like, man, it'd be nice for me to put me first. I wonder, as he was up with him all night, did he look at the bed and say, man, it'd be really nice to have my own comfortable bed. It'd be really nice to sleep right now. The reason I share all this is because all of us that are going to be doing stuff with faith and action, you're going to have a moment where you're going to be uncomfortable. And you're going to sit there and go, man, it'd be really nice to hit the recliner right now. What am I doing? I wonder if he also had a moment where he felt foolish because of the reactions of others around him. I thought about this one. I wonder when he walked into the inn, was it an inn that was owned by Jewish people? So I want you to picture this for a moment. If the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, when he walked in to get that room, what's the chances that the Jewish innkeeper actually mistreated him because he was a Samaritan? I don't know about you, but that would make me not very happy towards Jewish people. And I wonder if he got looks like, what's this guy doing? What's his agenda? Why is he treating this person this way? Why, is he, why are they up in that room? What, what's going on? I wonder if he felt foolish at any point in time when he was loving this person. I want to share a story just from yesterday. So yesterday, because I didn't feel foolish about it, but sometimes when we love on other people, people look at us like, what are you doing? That doesn't make sense. So yesterday, my wife and I, and my kids, we were in Cedar Rapids, and we had somebody uh, with us, and there was a moment where we, we were driving by Walmart, and this is that time of year that Walmart, every three exits of Walmart, have somebody that's sitting there with a sign. Every three it's like, there they are. And uh, as we're pulling up to them, my, my youngest daughter was on the side that this person was on, and normally, whenever we give, uh, give anything to somebody that's there on the, on the side with the sign, it's always my other daughter, my oldest daughter, that's always on that side, and they always get angry. She always gets angry. My youngest one's angry, like, I never get to do it. So I was like, hey, great opportunity. So I pulled out some cash. I said, Piper, here. She rolled down the window. She gave the person the money. 
Piper looks at him, all of seven years old, gives him the money. She's like, God bless you. He's like, God, you know, so they had this little moment. We pulled away. And the person in my car, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, is like, well, you know they're just going to use that to go buy drugs and alcohol, right? So we ended up having a conversation. And it was a good conversation, because that's where his mind was. His mind was, you know those people don't need it. They, they, just, they, just, they just take it. And there was this moment where he didn't understand why I was doing what we did. And sometimes we might be there where we're loving on somebody and the people around us, the world doesn't get it. They're like, why? It's foolishness to them. Why would any person use their vacation to go help somebody else in Vinton? Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody go help clean up somebody else's yard and and paint their house or fix their house? Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody take away from themselves to give to somebody else that they don't even know. Sometimes the world looks at us and they should look at us and say, that doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. And this is what I said to the person in my car. I said, here's the deal. We decided a long time ago, it's not my job to determine how they use the money I give them. If they go use it for something they shouldn't use it on, then that's on them. That's not on me. And this is what I said to them. I said, this is, this is, I felt, I had one of those moments like, that was good. After I said it, it was totally, it's a God thing, it wasn't me, but I looked at, as we were talking, I said, I said this, I was like, listen, I would rather give and be taken advantage of than to be a person that never gives at all. I would rather be a person that gives and looks at and, and is looked at as a fool than a person that never gives and loves at all. And that's the mentality we need to have as Christians. We are called to give even if it makes us look foolish. We are called to give even if it makes us look like people are just like, well, I don't get it. That's the point because as soon as they say, I don't get it, it gives us the ability to say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. It's an amazing place to be. So as we bring all this together and we end this, I want us to kind of put this into some application, right? So the command Jesus ends it by saying, go and do likewise. So there's the command, right? Expectation. Go and do likewise. So let's talk about this a little bit. Here's the first thing I want us to think about. (laughs) I can't stand this thing. (sighs) First thing. Before the Samaritan loved, he saw. So track with me here for a minute. Because um, I want us to understand where love really is. Love is in action. It's not an intention. It's not good intentions. Love is not feeling bad for people. Love is not going, oh, I hope God helped that person. Don't get me wrong. It's loving to pray for people, but that's not the love that God calls us to. But here's the thing. Before the Samaritan loved, he first saw. What I mean by that is while he was traveling, he at least took the time to see the wounded person for who he was and see him. He didn't ignore him. So application, how do we start seeing people? How do we start allowing our eyes to be open the way God wants them to be open? And the way we do that is we need to start praying for people. If you're not already praying for the community, please start praying for the community. If you're not already praying for people that are going to be touched through faith and action, start praying for people that are going to be touched through faith and action. Start praying for the community because when you start praying for someone, you start praying for something, you'll be amazed at how God opens your eyes to them. Now here's the challenge, the even harder challenge that I want to, I want to give to us. Those of us that have people that are hard for us to love, so I'm going to give you an example. I have somebody in my life right now that anytime they come to my mind, I instantly get tense. I instantly get frustrated. 
I instantly get some anxiety because I'm like, the tension that's going on there. It's just like, God, it frustrates me. This is what God challenged me to do. He said, (laughs) and it's it's been interesting, but it's been good. He's like, David, whenever that person comes to mind, you have two choices. You can either start thinking negative about them or you can start praying for them. So what I've done is now, I'm probably praying for that person about 20 times a day. Because they pop into my head at times that I'm like, where did that come from? And every single time they pop into my head, I'm like, all right, God, be with that person. Bless that person. Love that person. Give that person whatever they need. I'm not praying, Lord, show that person where they're wrong. Lord, show that person why they're frustrating me. Lord, make them pay. I'm praying blessing. And, And as I do that, my prayer is, God, let me see them the way you see them. Let me love them the way you love them. Let me know them the way you know them. So here's the deal. Every single person in this room, I guarantee you, got somebody that when they pop into your head, they frustrate you. Start praying for them every time they pop into your head. And start allowing God to let you see them the way he sees them. The second one is this. Before the Samaritan loved, he also drew near. And and what I mean by that is, Scripture tells us that after he saw the guy, he then went over to him. He went over to where he was. So here's the way application for us. Let's meet people where they're at, right? Not only let's pray for them and see them for who they are, let's start being willing to meet people where they're at. See, this is, again, my selfishness. One of the ways that I can be selfish is I can expect people to be where I expect them to be, not where they're at. Like, I'll love you, but you need to get here first. God's like, that's not where they're at. They're down here. You need to come down here. Remember, while you were death and darkness and full of sin and wrath, I came down to your level. You need to go down to their level. But Lord, they should know better. Doesn't matter if you think they should know better. Meet them where they're at. Lord, they shouldn't act that way. Doesn't matter. Meet them where they're at. Right? Draw near to where they're at. Instead of us just kind of looking at them saying, you should be somewhere else, let's help them get there. That's the way Jesus works. That's the way the Samaritan did it. He met the man where he was at and lifted him up and helped him get where he needed to be. The last one is this. Before the Samaritan loved, he related. Scripture tells us that he had pity on the man that was broken in there. And so what I mean by that is let's make the application when we love people, let's fill the need that they have, not the need that we think they have. So what I mean by that is sometimes we got to get close enough to people to actually know what their need is instead of us just assuming we know what their need is. Anybody here ever had like a needed life and somebody with good intentions tried to help you but the help they give did not matter whatsoever to the problem you had? It's just like if you would have actually asked me, I'll give you an example for this and please don't hear me wrong on this but because some people this is, sometimes this is our first thing. You ever noticed whenever there's like a, a family tragedy the first thing that a lot of people do, and I'm doing it wrong, it's a great gesture, it really is, but the first thing we do is like everybody starts making food for people, and before you know it, your house is overrun with food, and then you're like, what are we gonna do with all this food? See, here's the thing, people had good intentions to give that food, but sometimes the best thing we can do is actually look at somebody and say, hey, I know you're going through a lot right now, How, what can I do to help you? Instead of me just assuming I know what you need. We had the same conversation with that person that was asking for money because the person in my car said, well, you shouldn't have gave them money if you want to give them food. Why don't you just take them to have some food? I said, well, here's the deal. What if somebody just did that? What if they got a full belly right now? I'm not helping them. 
by just taking them and giving them more food. If they, they might have tons of food. Maybe they need help with something else. So again, let's be willing to get to know people well enough that we can relate to them and we can know what the need is so we can fulfill that need for them. Here's the thing. Here in a few days, there's going to be a lot of projects going on, and you guys are going to be, we're going to be working on houses, we're going to be doing things for people. That's great, and that's awesome. But hear me on this. We need to be willing to relate to those people in such a way because the greatest need that some of them might have is they don't know Jesus. And the greatest thing that we can do for anybody is while we're fixing their house, introduce them to Jesus. And that only happens when we're willing to relate to people when we're willing to draw near to people and we're willing to fulfill the need that they truly have. So what I want to end completely on this, and it's a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. There's a lot of truth there. What C.S. Lewis is saying there Let's stop talking about loving people. Let's stop debating about loving people. Let's stop waiting to feel like we love people. What he's saying is just go love them. Just go love them. And as you love them, you're going to find something out really awesome. You're going to find yourself loving them. It's the same thing that Corey Ten Boom went through. I can't love this person. I can't do that. And God says, yeah, but I do love them, and I'm going to pour myself out into you, and when I pour myself out into you, you're going to end up loving them. I don't know about you, but that's an awesome reality that all of us are invited into. Let me pour myself into you, and through me, you're going to be able to love them. So who do we love? We're called to love everyone. Everyone. It's a big challenge, but God's a big God, and we can do it. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. It, it's always, <laughs> sometimes, Lord, it can be very difficult. I've said before, there's portions of your word that if I could have my way, I'd love for them not to be there. I, I'd love for you to give some exceptions in there. When you say love everyone, I would love there to be that exception, that, that see uh, the, the fine print that gives me reasons that I don't have to, but that's not what you call us to. Because you love everyone, we're called to love everyone. Because again, we are an extension of you. Jesus, you are the head of the church. We are the body. We are an extension of Jesus. If you love everyone, then there, it, your body has to love everyone. Because we are the arms and the feet and the legs and the heartbeat. We are the body. And you call us to be your physical representation. Lord, I truly believe that you are constantly working in people's lives. You are the one that you can come down and you can spiritually hug somebody and let them know your presence is there, but yet you also call your church to be that physical representation. You call your church to be the one to step into those places so people can see you, so people can hear you, so people can feel you. That's the power that we have. That's the significance that we have as the church is to be your physical presence in this world. We are called to be light. You say, I didn't make you light so that I could hide you. I made you light so I could let everybody see it. We're called to be salt. We're called to have such a presence in this world that, that we make other people thirsty for you, that, 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 that there's a power to that, just our very presence. So again, as this week goes forward and we prepare and make final preparations for faith and action, prepare your church to be that physical representation. 
to truly love everyone. And, and most importantly, let the love of Christ become even stronger within the church. Lord, we can always grow in that. Your love is infinite. So the love and unity that comes in, through Jesus in the church, Lord, let that grow and expand and become more powerful. Let new people that don't understand it experience it for the first time. Like This is what the church is meant to be. This is what the church is meant to be. A, a body of people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Doing supernatural things that the world does not understand but that the world cannot ignore. Let that be the reality of our lives, that we do supernatural things that the world does not understand, but that yet the world cannot ignore because it brings glory to you as your kingdom grows and expands. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.